This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, September 26, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. So much of federal spending is now off-budget. It doesn't go through a regular budgeting process, and that spending has contributed mightily to our current debt woes. Jonathan Bidlack of the R Street Institute discusses how to address it. We would like uh, the federal government, to the extent that it uh, has the capacity to spend, that it can under dire circumstances, but broadly, we ought to be able to have expectations that uh, the government spending will be regular, it will be normal, it will go through, perish the thought, a budget process. Uh, but so much of what has come to characterize a lot of government spending ought to be construed as emergency spending. We can argue about whether or not a lot of it was necessary, but understanding spending as normal and emergency is something that we're not really good at. No, I mean, lawmakers tend to not want to plan maybe as much as they should. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of spending in recent years, uh, the pandemic perhaps being the most obvious example where, uh, you know, prior to the pandemic, no one really saw that coming. And then we proceeded to go and spend $5 trillion completely unexpectedly and completely off budget. Um, you know, we've had many other things like this that have come up. I mean, the, the housing crisis back in, you know, 2008, 2009. Uh, frankly, a lot of the uh, war spending that we've had has been off budget, uh, both in terms of the the overseas contingency account, which previously existed. But, um, you know, if you go back to 2000 and you look at Congressional Budget Office, you know, projections as to what does the budget look like, it was surpluses as far as the eye could see. And when you ask yourself, well, why isn't that the case anymore? Uh, it, you know, it's not actually because of what people oftentimes think, which is uh, entitlement spending, for example, um, which I think we maybe like to talk about because it's easier to project and, you know, conceptualize. Um, but and it's, it's a disaster. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, no doubt, uh, no doubt we need to address entitlement spending. And it's and it's certainly a very important uh, uh, factor in, in sort of our, our forward looking projections. But when you ask yourself, why did the national debt balloon so dramatically from, you know, those CBO projections in 2000 to, to where we are today? Um, a bigger part of the answer is actually all of the spending that wasn't expected. It was, you know, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. It was, again, the, the financial crisis in 2008, 2009. It was hurricanes, natural disasters, things that we theoretically should plan for, but we still don't really do very effectively. Uh, and of course, most recently, it's, it's you know, $5 trillion on, on the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, so uh, what is the appropriate way of handling that spending relative to Again, what ought to be a normal annual budgeting process? Sure. So, you know, uh, far be it for me, I guess, to go in that quote Donald Rumsfeld. But of course, there's that that whole line about, you know, no knowns and unknown knowns and so on. Um, I, I think that that framework is actually somewhat useful with with what we're talking about. I mean, there are certain things that we know are going to happen. We just don't necessarily know the specific details about how or when they're going to happen. So, you know, we we saw obviously the uh, the disaster in Lahaina. Uh, you know, we saw uh, uh, you know uh, hurricanes obviously occur on a on a relatively regular basis. So there are certain things that I think we should be planning much more effectively for, uh, rather than essentially you know having you know Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Ian, Superstorm Sandy, and so on, and then saying, oh my gosh 
you know, how could we have possibly foreseen this? We need a, a massive supplemental, you know, spending package. So um, I think that that is, that is one area that is ripe for reform. Um, and, and then the other question is, you know, there are things like, again, pandemics or, you know, the housing crisis or so on, these kind of unexpected things that, you know, at least in budget world, no one I think was really thinking about ahead of time. Um, and there are ways to deal with that too. I mean, you know, at the state level, for example, uh, we have rainy day funds. We have we have budget stabilization funds set up to allow states to weather these kinds of situations. Um, and in fact, I mean, that was a big part of the story, a big part of the, the reason as to why the states were able to respond so effectively uh, at the outset of the pandemic. It was because they had these sort of pools of cash available. Uh, you know, there are some efforts. Uh, Senator Braun from Indiana, for example, has introduced legislation to try to create a federal uh, emergency fund, which I think is, is, you know, it's it's not the not the be all end all solution, but it, it could very well be a, a useful uh, a useful addition. I think there are also a lot of lessons to be learned from from other countries. I mean, you know. Uh, places like Sweden and Switzerland, for example, which, of course, you know, many scholars at Cato and R Street have, have written about ad nauseum, uh, you know, have more effective controls on their expenditures uh, through fiscal rules that are actually flexible and able to deal with these kinds of unex- kind of unexpected events. And and to be clear, not small public sectors in those countries. <laughs> that, that's right. I mean, you know, Bernie Sanders maybe likes to talk a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, Sweden as kind of this socialist paradise. But but actually, as as you know, the, the Swedish story in particular is is interesting. I mean, they had a, uh, you know, they had an entitlement crisis that they went through in the in the 1990s, and they imposed more stringent fiscal controls. Uh, but the, but the, the other part that's often not talked about in, in these places is that, you know, they are able to go and spend beyond what what they otherwise, uh, the rules might otherwise say they would be able to. Um, they may have to cut spending in the future to account for that, but they have mechanisms in place to to deal with unexpected events as well. And so um, I think that there's, there's a need beyond sort of just, uh, you know, addressing things like hurricanes in a more targeted fashion. There's this broader issue where we really need to think holistically about how we budget at the federal level so that we can actually have um, not just regular budgets, but also uh, put lawmakers in a position where the system is flexible enough so that we can deal with these things that we know are inevitably going to spring up. We, again, just don't necessarily know the details. Yes. The the notion of an emergency fund is useful at the family level and uh, potentially at the, the federal government level. My concern about something like that is just, well, let's just redefine everything as an emergency in order to be able to make to raid this fund whenever we damn well please. And that's the that's the big risk. You know, I think that um you know, we've talked so far about emergency spending, but there's this the flip side of the coin, which is the expansion of emergency powers uh, and how we kind of construe what actually is an emergency. I mean, I think we can all acknowledge that, you know, what happened in the pandemic, for example, was a was, you know, a, a very significant uh, situation where where there needed to be some sort of action. And we can debate about what that might have or, or should have looked like. But uh, the reality is that uh, you know, increasingly lawmakers in Washington, in part because it's so hard to get things done via regular order and we have increased polarization and partisanship and so on. Um, one of the easiest ways to try to uh, have your priorities be advanced uh, is to declare an emergency. Uh, and so, you know, this is why we're seeing pushes, frankly, from both sides. I mean, you know, in the Trump administration, it was there's an emergency happening on the border. We need to take immediate action uh, on on the left. We see, you know, there's a 
uh, you know, whether we're talking about uh, guns or we're talking about climate issues or whatever, right? There is there is a call, I think, to to declare an emergency so that the federal government can take actions that are kind of unchecked. And so the other part of this is that you know we've obviously seen a massive uh, expansion in in you know emergency declarations. Uh, again, we've seen other mechanisms like you know, as I mentioned earlier, the overseas contingency account where we basically created this offshoot so that we could get around budget caps and and increase spending for for national defense uh, and, and uh, considerations abroad. Uh, and so so, yeah, I mean, there's a there's the, the emergency power side of this. And, and there are a lot of reforms, you know, Mike Lee, for example, his Article One Act um, or various efforts to go and, um, you know, maybe restrain a little bit. Uh, how long emergencies can exist uh, or, or for example, create automatic terminations of emergency declarations and then require Congress or the president, if they so want to uh, continue to have there be an emergency, have to a- take affirmative action. Uh, and, and you're saying this whole this holistic approach. Uh, one thing that is notable about the, the Mike Lee uh, Article One program is that war the, the issue where we really ought to have an expiration with before uh, an expiration or a vote of Congress before we continue these sort of things. You're talking about holistically war uh, and any other kind of unforeseen spending ought to be uh, included, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, the Defense Production Act is another great example here where there's a need for reform, right? Where I think, again, we sort of uh, we bestow these powers on the president, which, you know, arguably had a legitimate purpose when when, uh, you know, when the DPA was originally implemented. But of course, it becomes tempting to go and expand those powers. And and from a fiscal standpoint, when when, you know, presidents have the ability to go and uh, and sort of engage in or create uh, you know, emergency environments or prolong them perhaps longer than they otherwise should have been, as we as we saw to some degree in the context of the pandemic, um, you create an environment that not only is ripe for potential abuse of power by executives, but it's also it also tends to be an environment where, uh, you know, where Congress and, and the president can kind of work hand in hand to dramatically increase spending beyond what what uh, you know should have been or or otherwise was proposed via the normal budgetary process. Jonathan Bidlack directs the governance program at the R Street Institute. We spoke last month in Chicago. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening. <laughs>